0: It's Midday Magazine for Tuesday, June 27th, and I'm Shelby Herbert. The union representing Alaska's longshore workers reached a tentative bargaining agreement last Friday evening following nearly 18 months of negotiations. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union Alaska Division said in a statement that it's still up to union members to vote for the agreement, The ILWU represents nearly 30,000 workers across the United States, with around 350 members working in Alaska ports. The union says they won't release the details of the tentative agreement with the public until after they complete the ratification process. But they say their time at the bargaining table shows the importance of union members' hard work. The union's West Coast Division recently reached a similar agreement for their 22,000 members. That comes on the heels of labor disputes, which led to the shutdown of of cargo operations in Seattle. If ratified, the Alaska Longshore Division's new contract would apply until June 2028. Ketchikan City Council will soon consider whether to renew its lease with the only 24-7 emergency shelter in town, or possibly change the terms. The conversation comes amid recent public testimony about alleged illegal or inappropriate activity in and around the shelter. In the first of a two-part series, Reagan Miller visits the first city haven to speak with staff and shelter users about their experiences.
1: Mike Weston works at Bodden Street Brewing just down the block from First City Haven. He spoke at a recent council meeting. I can can count on one hand how many times I don't have somebody coming into the window staring at me, trying to talk to me, obviously high as a kite. The shelter's lease with the city expired in May, but it's complaints like Weston's that are driving the discussion around what renewing the agreement should look like. There are a lot of allegations and concerns. People being chased on streets or yelling and making passerby feel unsafe. There's been public testimony on the topic at both council meetings this month. Ketchikan's council members all had different ideas for how to tackle the topic. Some, like Abby Bradbury, wanted to see operational changes inside the shelter. She suggested reducing the facility's hours and potentially its capacity capacity for me is is a big one. Um, I understand we have a lot of people who um, are needing services right now, but um, there is a limit to what, you know, a shelter that square footage should be housing in there. There is a limit. There is an appropriate humanitarian number or, you know, square foot for people. Reducing capacity is one thing that staff at the shelter say would cause a real problem and could make people more aggressive as they vie for help. Council member Lalette Kissler said allowing fewer people in would only fuel what others are complaining about, unwanted behavior on the streets.
0: And it's the thing, same thing that's happening with the people that are being pushed out of the shelter because they're causing problems, is that they're going and they're sleeping on people's doorways. I mean, where are these people going to sleep? Other ideas that
1: were tossed around dealt with making changes outside of the building, putting up a barricade around the sidewalk, or organizing a neighborhood watch in the area. Councilmember Riley Gass said he was happy with the services provided inside the shelter, but outside is different. I think one small, solid step in the right direction would be to really put an emphasis on that small area between the building and the sidewalk, Jay Matani, emphasized that he didn't fault anyone in particular, and homelessness isn't something that just exists in Ketchikan. It's everywhere, and it will take everyone to come up with a solution.
2: I'm sure reaching out to people in different communities, within our community who have experiences and who have the expertise, and at the work session, bring, come up bring something to the table so that we can discuss it and start arresting this problem.
1: But it will take time before any changes in or outside of the shelter will happen. A Ketchikan City Clerk said a work session could be set in August for more discussions. Until then, the shelter is on a month-to-month lease and would need 30 days notice if that changed. In Ketchikan,
0: I'm Regan Miller. This is the first of two stories KRBD produced on the First City Haven shelter issue. The Kodiak Island Borough School District is figuring out how to cut about $2 million from its budget. That's after the one-time education funding boost approved by the Alaska Legislature was slashed in half. Governor Mike Dunleavy reduced the funding in his line-item vetoes last week. Cindy Micah is the school district's superintendent. She was on vacation in Texas when the news broke that she and the board will have to adjust their plans.
2: From the beginning, we heard pro-education, pro-education, and so um, we felt comfortable, you know, creating our our budget based on the budget bill. And so it was a shock when we heard about the line item vetoes. <laughs>
0: Kodiak School District had already prepared a budget that relied on that funding. Mika says she, the board, and district staff have been working nonstop all week to deal with the changes. The district has no plans to cut personnel and are instead primarily looking at shrinking the budget for supplies.
2: It's disappointing for all the advocacy that we had going on, not only by those of us in central office, but also by our teachers and parents and even our students wrote letters. Um, and, you know, our legislation really came through for us in the one-time funding, and we were really counting on that.
0: Mika says the school board planned to pass a budget, a new budget yesterday. A group of about a dozen students from around the state visited Northwest Alaska earlier this month. They're part of a program for teenage students that immerses them in the STEM field. It's called T3, or Teaching Through Technology. The program introduces mostly rural students to real-world problems in Alaska communities. Earlier this month, Desiree Hagen met a few of the program participants while they were in Kotzebue to learn about renewable energy.
2: When I meet the students at the T3, or Teaching Through Technology program, I realize pretty quickly that they know a lot more about tech than I do. For instance, I couldn't understand why the students were learning about Raspberry Pi. And I thought, wow, that's a weird thing because, you know, thinking in my head, like, oh, there's technology, technology, and then there's baking. <laughs> <laughs> Layla Workman, an incoming sophomore originally from the Yukon Koyaka community of Grayling, who's living in North Pole, filled me in. So basically, Raspberry Pi is a little green board, like, It basically is an input and output. It has little information on it to tell it what to do. She was one of a dozen students in town for the T3 program, which engages students across the state in STEM, or science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, through real-life activities. The NOW International program began at the University of Alaska Fairbanks about six years ago with the help of a National Science Foundation grant. George Rising is a lead instructor for the program. The former high school teacher now works full time with the program and says by engaging students in tech, they are more likely to succeed in school.
1: So if we give them some cool technology skills like raspberry Pis and programming and drones and energy curriculum, soldering and all sorts of cool tools, then they can do really powerful things. And they're more likely to lean into their education. They're more likely to finish high school. They're more likely to go on to college or any form of post-secondary education.
2: The program is designed for high school students, but Rising says it spans from middle schoolers introduced to the program to college students hired to mentor and support the leaders. This summer, student groups traveled to four locations throughout the state as part of the program.
1: We've got a strand of students in Juneau doing uh, climate research on the ice field. We've got a group of students in Cordova and Valdez looking at mariculture and uh, ocean science. And we've got a group of students in Denali looking at like seismology and geology.
2: This was the first year the T3 group visited Kotzebue. Here, they explored sustainable energy, looking at wind turbines and solar panels before flying to Noatak to tour the site of a future solar farm. For senior Jeremy Thatcher, touring Kotzebue Electric Association's power plant was one of his favorite activities. We walked around and like saw all the like generators and all the relays they had. It was like, whoa, <laughs> these can make power. Thatcher said after learning about Kotzebue's renewable energy projects, He was eager to return to his hometown of Bethel to explore how renewables could be used in the community. If we could, I'd be really happy to like help study if we get more power with the solar, wind, or if we even get more energy efficient. Although the students were in the Northwest Arctic for a week, the program is year-round. There's pods or small groups in each community that work after school on a variety of science and technology projects. Thatcher says as part of the program, he volunteered with KYUK Public Radio Station in Bethel, learning sound editing and conducting interviews with elders. He says the program also helped him to get his drone piloting license. One of the students, Brian Jones, was also able to learn about drones through the program. Jones is from the YK Delta community of Quintahawk. After learning about drone technology, he was able to assist in aerial mapping of the archaeology site at Ngunahaluk using a special camera. Jones says they are looking for sod houses that his ancestors might have used thousands of years ago.
0: We go to some, some areas with either bright or green or dark grass. The camera sees it, but not with us, because we don't really see it with ours, but the camera does, because it's uh, built for that. And we're like looking for more sad houses that didn't get found.
2: While the after-school program is not yet in Kotzebue, Rising says that they hope to expand the program to incorporate more Northwest Arctic communities. More information about the program can be found at t3alliance.org. In Kotzebue, I'm Desiree Hagan.
0: The head of a new Anchorage-based airline says the company hopes to bring hundreds of jobs and a substantial increase in tourism business to Alaska. Rob McKinney is CEO of the company that owns Raven Alaska, and he describes Northern Pacific Airways as the next evolution of the Raven Alaska brand. Speaking at an unveiling of their new first-class lounge at Ted Stevens Airport last Wednesday... McKinney said the new airline will employ 250 people locally, bring millions of dollars in tax revenue to Alaska, and eventually billions to the economy by extending the tourism season.
1: We believe that ultimately we can take the seasonality out of tourism in Alaska.
2: And if you think about what that translates, I mean, everyone just goes as hard as they can for three and a half, four months. But if you can translate that to 12 months, amount of um, jobs that will be created and not be seasonal anymore and just be transformative for the state
0: the company's business model relies on anchorage being a halfway point between the major cities in eastern asia and the u.s mckinney says starting early next year northern pacific will offer flights from cities in japan and korea to anchorage and then to lower 48 destinations He expects their flights to be 20% cheaper than nonstop competitor flights because of the saved fuel by stopping in Anchorage. He says the travel time will be comparable because of the much shorter customs clearance experience in Anchorage than LAX or JFK airports, for example. McKinney says the concept has already been proven by Icelandair.
2: Look at the Atlantic, you can easily go nonstop across the Atlantic, yet. Iceland Air has phenomenal business. They have 50 airplanes, and they're all stopping in in Keflavik there in Iceland. So it can be done.
0: McKinney says by bringing year-round travelers, Iceland increased their tourism 500%. If Alaska were to even double its current tourism, that would translate to billions of dollars in new revenue, McKinney says. Northern Pacific's first flight – will be between L.A. and Las Vegas starting next month as a proof of concept, and they hope to have the Trans-Pacific flights up and running by spring 2024. For KFSK News, I'm Shelby Herbert.